This time, we're going straight to the moon while reviewing Boone. And along the way, we ask, is Gertie friend or foe? What could possibly be on the moon that humanity needs? And how this film takes arguing with yourself to a whole new level. We can only account for what occurs on this podcast, on this edition of Force Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, astronaut Sean Culp. All right. Oh, yeah. Getting in astronaut mode with this movie. Yeah, we're discussing 2009's Moon, starring the great Samuel Rockwell. I'm glad that he now is the uh, great attached to his name, because for so long, and we'll talk about it later, he, he was so underrated as an actor, especially before that Oscar nod came. Right. So I'm glad. The great Sam Rockwell. <laughs> so let's bust into this with a synopsis. Yes. No. Astronaut Sam Bell who is an employee of Lunar Industries Limited, has spent the past three years mining the moon for materials that are no longer plentiful on Earth. And as he is coming to the end of his contract, he finds himself in an accident that appears to be the end of him until he finds himself awake in his habitat having no memory of the crash. At least that's what Sam is told by his robotic companion, Gertie. <laughs> and when Sam goes searching for answers, he discovers a clone of himself out on the lunar surface. So now the two Sams must uncover the corporate conspiracy that keeps them imprisoned millions of miles from home. Da da da. Yeah, very um <laughs> it the plot of the film unfolds in this very situational way. Like we we meet Sam, we see what Sam does in his daily tasks. There's a problem with one of the miners, the the rovers that are out on the surface. He goes and investigates, crash Clone wakes up in Habitat and so on and so forth for the rest of the film. So it's very, yep, the it's mystery. very, it's point to point. And that's what I like a lot about this film. Yes. It doesn't spend a lot of time lollygagging around. You get to, it establishes who the characters are, where, what, their daily lives. You get to kind of get an attachment. I love that. This, you, as you said, it is very direct, super easy to fall in love with the story. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, starring Sam Rockwell yeah. as astronaut Sam Bell, he was, we previously discussed him in our episode on Galaxy Quest, but um, this film was really the beginning of what I would call the period of considering Sam Rockwell as a, as a serious actor. Oh, yeah. Because he had just appeared in The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford a couple of years before this, and then he would appear in Iron Man 2 right mm -hmm. after this film. Yeah. And that got him more notoriety within the public. And he was great in Iron Man too. And then after that, he just kept getting role after role until I think uh, Billboard Mississippi. Missouri. Missouri. And then he got his Oscar for that role, mm -hmm. which he was just insatiable. I've seen Sam Rockwell in movies for years. I've loved him as an actor. I think he's got a great range. And this film showcases it. I mean, be, as an actor, being able to play two characters off of one another is just I think that shows how great and versatile he is because it's not like you're working you know in a scene you have a scene partner this literally they probably did a take of him on one side of the room and then all right now you're the clone and he had to show like getting sick being young the difference in the changes over time which I think 
just speaks bounds of how great he is. His range is on full display in this film because we see him start off as this company man and then starting to question the the nature of his reality and the descent into madness that his clone is experiencing. And then to see, you know, I, uh, for lack of a better word, we'll call him Sam A, mm-hmm. you know, start to degrade and, and die. Which is so uh, petrifying when you watch it. Right. It, it's, the, it's the human equivalent of planned obsolescence, which is just terrifying to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and alongside Sam Rockwell, uh, he doesn't appear in human form, but we get the voice of Kevin Spacey as Gertie, yes. the, the robot. Which Kevin Spacey, while we have said in this uh, series, there are a lot of garbage humans, and you know, with his allegations, garbage human, but a great actor. Yeah, before I mean, we found out he was one of history's greatest monsters. Yes, <laughs> and he's great in this film, uh, despite it just being a voice. He embodies the robot nature of Gertie but still is able to show some compassion and almost like he's a person you know he just he had the robot almost had a soul essentially like as a human doing things for him and protecting him I loved I loved it's a very even keeled performance like there's there's no inflection to Spacey's voice and it's just very matter of fact like a robot would in this instance oh to me I saw it differently I saw it as not like um not exactly like iRobot but not like you know what is that called Odyssey whatever 2001 this yeah, a space odyssey yeah. with Hal 9000 Exa- yes i feel like Gertie was a nice robot that always wanted to do the best for Sam and with his little smiley face and fr- the way it emoted was just so adorable the smiley frowny <laughs> questionable look in a in one of the more uh, minor roles in the film we have a uh, Kea Scodelario as uh, Eve Bell Sam's daughter uh, her career's kind of beginning to trend upward uh, she appeared in the Ted Bundy film extremely wicked and sh- uh, shockingly evil and vile from okay. last year on Netflix I didn't watch it yeah you weren't missing too much <laughs> that's what I thought and uh, the alligator horror film from last year <laughs> crawl which I did not get around to seeing. Sounds horrible. It's like Jaws, just with uh, uh, alligators. That can crawl its way out of my life. <laughs> Who else do we have? Benedict Wong from yeah, he's... Uh, Marvel. He was in, uh, he was the dude from uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah, he's Wong. Wong. And then one of my favorite actors, Matt Berry. So Matt Berry, have you ever seen the IT Crowd? Yes, that's I, I was... love <laughs> IT Crowd. He's so great in it. The IT Crowd is uh, one of my uh, favorite British comedies. He's oh, it's the same. I love how Matt Berry is just so stupid and everything, but it's so witty at the same well, time. Well, Benedict Wong was also on an episode of the IT Crowd. I didn't know that really. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! Moss was on some uh, some game show. Okay, and Benedict Wong was also on this game show and and won it previously. Mm-hmm. So he runs this club of oh of, yeah. uh, of mem- uh, former contestants from the <laughs> show who have won like I think it's like eight or nine epi- uh, episodes in a row. I've seen that one. Yep, yep, yep. I can't quite figure out the premise of this uh, this contest just from watching a 22-minute episode <laughs> of the IT crowd, but apparently it's a big deal amongst uh, the nerd culture in, in the UK. Apparently. Uh, if we have any UK listeners, please provide us a breakdown of how that game show works. Yeah, send us a message, because we have no idea, but we love the show. Also directed apparently. by Duncan Jones. 
This is his first uh, major motion picture. He's gone on to do uh, other films like Warcraft, which a uh, bit maligned lately, but he's also- Warcraft? Yeah, it was the video Film game adaptation. Terrible, right? I didn't see it, but uh, I, 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 I heard very mixed things about it. But he's also the only son of um, David Bowie. Yeah. The late great uh, rock artist. Ah, he also did uh, this film, uh, Source Code, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. That that was a good film. I think that's on our list. It is. Hey, so that'll be exciting. So, Cast made on a very <laughs> modest budget of five million dollars, and they made every effort. It looks like to minimize cost, but th- mm-hmm. this really isn't detrimental to the overall look of the film and story wise, because the cast was kept very small. It was filmed mostly in a studio. They also reused sets from a British television show called Red Dwarf, which is supposedly about the last human alive on a distant mining planet. I guess hilarity ensues, I I suppose. I've never seen it. I'd never heard of it until researching this. I've never seen this. But apparently it is a cult following. So, cool. Bully for them. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Uh, Duncan Jones and Nathan Parker, uh, the co-writer of the film, specifically wrote the script with Sam Rockwell in mind for Sam Bell, which is always cool when- This is one of those, you have to do it or else. Right. We don't have a movie if you don't do it. (laughs) That's right. For a fun fact, uh, have you ever seen the Royal Tenenbaums? Yes. Uh, Gene Hackman's part, I guess, was written for him, and it took a lot of convincing because Gene Hackman, as an actor, hated parts that were written for him. So thank goodness Sam Rockwell wasn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw that Sam Rockwell liked it. He enjoyed uh, doing the part of Sam Bell. Well, it helps too when the the moon base set was created in this full 360 degree environment. It measured almost 100 feet long and 70 feet wide. So when you have good production design like that, it's very easy to immerse yourself in the setting. Oh, yeah, as I'm sure as an actor, because they did this. Did you see how many days they spent filming on it? No. No, I didn't see that either. But basically, but yeah, you know, if they spend like, let's say, 40 days filming in that environment, you get really used to your surroundings as opposed to jumping around, you know, on locations. So it's almost like a play. And so that's why I feel like the film is so intimate, you know, with it, the, the moon base feels so lived in. You know, you see the kick me sign on Gertie's back. You see the wood chips from him carving out the town, all the dirt and miscellaneous stuff everywhere. It's it definitely has that lived in feel, which made it the environment like usual space places feel sterile. But this did not feel sterile at all. No, it's very dirty and grimy in a in many rooms of the of the base there in just the little personal touches really flesh out the look of the moon base. I mean, did you see the the Tennessee Titans poster mm-hmm. above uh, Sam's bed there? <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, there's photos all over the place, and and it, Sam really spent time adding a personal touch to it. I mean, without any realization that you know it had been pre- lived in by a previous clone of himself yeah because as the clones they keep waking up with just enough information of the past that they got and in this like you find out um he said like the other houses were already there he couldn't remember how like the other carvings of the town was there but he carved out several other in like 900 hours or something that was pretty interesting like how they figured out the science of having the clones just remember enough 
where they wake up, but they just keep going, you know, every three years. I mean, without those little touches and little details on the bass, it only adds to this feeling of isolation that's just ever present in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, besides the fact that he's millions of miles away, I mean, he tries to communicate with LIL about repairs that are needed, upcoming supply runs, and it seems that those messages go unanswered. Yeah, or even if they're even sent, you know, if they right. get blocked because they basically take out the signal, the telecommunicator, whatever, satellite. And he doesn't find that out until, you know, three quarters into the film. Such a lonely base to live in. You know, he's like talking to himself when he's watering the plants. And I think Sam even says that to the clone. He's like, I'm I'm really lonely up here. He just wants a high five. Right. Or like a handshake and his clone doesn't want to give it to him. Well, and the production design coupled with the visual effects and by no means are the computer graphics mind blowing, but I never felt like they took me out of the film. No. Like it, we've seen in previous films that look like they were done with, you know, PlayStation 2 graphics. <laughs> yeah, this these graphics were perfect for the budget itself. I think this is a great depiction of a movie where you can do so much with so little. They used miniatures for all the vehicles outside, mm-hmm. which is just mind-boggling when you see it because you're like, this has to be CGI. No. it's It's sad that special effects companies don't use miniatures anymore. I think Christopher Nolan is one of the few directors who pursues miniatures as opposed to just computer graphics because, you know, they're easier. I get why directors want to use computer graphics, but there's there's always that tactile feeling you get when you see a miniature on screen. Yeah, it seems real. It's something tangible that they can do and that you can do in real life. It's got that realism. Whereas a lot of special effects, we get the George Lucas effect where there's so much going on or it's doing things that we know the spaceship or as humans, like we wouldn't be able to do due to physics or whatnot. And I know for me as a viewer, it takes me out of the film when I see that. But miniatures are great at just bringing films to life, I think. I think the only real distracting quality of the computer graphics was that additional arm that Gertie uses that was the only that is very obvious at times because it it definitely looks out of place yeah (laughs) in some moments indeed i will agree i noticed that the second time in the viewing when it like types on the the in the password for him it's like oh that's cgi whoops (laughs) it's weird too because in back-to-back weeks we we get films about cloning how great is that the unexpected too We had Six Day, where it's almost like a farce, you know? Like, it's so fantastical with Arnold and how they just keep making clones in a business sense. But this, it's so scientifically sound. Like, every clone comes at a certain time, you know? Once Sam dies, boom. And you have, like, the... Almost similar, though, where there's a disease that wipes them out, you know? How they have the timetable. Yeah, and... It's so sad to watch him go through that. And obviously, he's in so much pain. Yeah. And I think the process of him getting in that that pod and, like, flash burned oh. was just a way of preventing any sort of extended life period for him. Yeah. 
I, I, it's probably embedded in the genetic code, right? Every three years, they got to get wiped out, or I would think so that the the material starts to degrade after a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. I was a bit disappointed that the twist of cloning Sam was exposed so early in the film. Oh, yeah, it was like it twenty five minutes in. We we kind of put the pieces together that Sam's a clone. Well, I feel like that would it's hard not to understand that he's a clone, you know, because when there's two of the same actor. It's got to be a clone unless right. it's a twin, which, no. Uh, this film, what made it, at, at first, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, they gave it away so soon. But the second viewing, I started to see, like, the relationships between them grow. You see the little details of, like, Sam Bell being there for three years. He's so much more meta and reserved and relaxed as opposed to the younger, ad, you know, angry self. And it's really interesting to see the stark contrast between them, like, kind of like the... Um, Padawan and Master, you know, teaching each other, and they go on a journey. It definitely, the emotion between them is what made, really flesh out the film for me. He's, even with the addition of Sam's clone, you still feel like he's very much alone Mm -hmm. on this planet. Or I guess not a planet, it's the moon. The moon. (laughs) Yeah, they are, still. (laughs) And compared to The Sixth Day, the, the process of how their clone is not really explained in any sort of detail. But I think in this case for Moon, it would have hindered the film if the process was gone into any sort of detail. Exactly. We didn't need to know. It wasn't as important as getting him off the moon and kind of figuring out the whole, why is the signal down? Why can't my messages go through? Am I dying? How can we get off this planet? Yeah, we're only meant to see that he is being cloned in the first mm-hmm. place. Exactly. Not not going to the not going to the how of it. Well, because you also, don't want to see how the hot dogs are made. No, <laughs> and plus Sam, I take it he's a scientist, but he's kind of like a regular guy. You know, it's more realistic depiction of like how a person would deal with being, like dealing with themselves if they found out they were cloned, as opposed to Six Day, where it just becomes almost like a comedy. Hey, let's print more out. Jing, jing, jing. I mean, and looking at this from a practical standpoint, what um, LIL is doing makes sense, yeah. bottom line wise. But I mean, really, how expensive can it be to train one person to do Sam's job? I don't know. I mean, uh, well, let's say this. I think the army, in order to train a soldier for through basic training, it's like $40,000 per soldier, almost fifty grand, And that's for 12 weeks. Mm. So think of how it would be to train an astronaut, you know, and all the time and effort to go in to make sure that they're perfect. I got the impression, though, that a lot of Sam's job was just automation, just monitoring yeah. that those rovers were still working and occasionally go out and fix something. Yeah. While that does require an extended period of training, I can't imagine that it's going to cost that much to train him as opposed to, just, oh, we'll just clone him. Oh, yeah. I think maybe it's like one of those things, like how a pilot, you know, you have to learn how to fly and know all the ins and outs. But the majority of flying nowadays is just autopilot. You know, if Tom Cruise can learn to fly a jet for Top Gun Maverick, (laughs) I'm sure anyone can train to be an astronaut at this point. (laughs) Right. If they're letting Scientologists learn how to fly F-18 jets, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure a regular Joe like me can learn how to walk on the lunar surface. I'm sure you could. Absolutely. (laughs) I liked the depiction of the technology in this. It felt uh, achievable, 
I think, with the rovers and how it was all set up being automated primarily, because I think that's the way we're going in a technological sense. It takes this future concept of mining the moon in a, from a very practical standpoint, and it did get me curious as to what we what could be found on the moon that would make us say, like, oh, we, we got to go up there and start mining the crap out of it. <laughs> Right. So I found this article on uh, popsci.com. It's the uh, the the website version of Popular Science. So, and they listed some elements that could be found on the moon. And one of the big ones was uh, silicon, which actually makes up twenty uh, percent of the moon's soil. Huh. What would we use silicon for? Uh, I wonder. Well, it could potentially replace plastics, but it and it all depends on how the soil is refined too. That you're able to d- extract those materials out of. That was the that was the caveat I found with a lot of these elements that are found there. Is it all depends on how it's refined. Okay. Um, water. They yeah. think that water could be found on the moon. There's actually ice in one of the southern craters, and if the ice caps contain hydrogen. After melting, that could be used for rocket fuel to travel to Mars. Yeah, but I guess the problem with all these materials that are up there is we have them here. So there's nothing really, like, new, you know, that we could get and utilize. Well, we saw this in Ad Astra when the moon was used as a launching point to get to Mars. Yes, if they use it as a base, absolutely, to, like, go seek the outer rims of space, perhaps. But until we get up there, did you know... Caterpillar actually is working with NASA of potentially going up to the moon. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, because I guess Caterpillar apparently worked with NASA from 2004 to 2013 building equipment. So apparently now the cat wants to go back. And the and the big um, material, the big element that they think is on the moon, and this is the reason why Sam Bell is on the moon in the film, he's mining for helium-3. Yeah, this is actually found in the Sea of Tranquility on the moon, but our atmosphere on Earth prevents the solar winds, um, prevents it the helium three from reaching us here on Earth, and it's believed that future nuclear reactors will run on helium three. Okay, so So this could be a very big material for decades down the line. So they could actually this film is could potentially be a nice foreshadowing. Could like be, it's, yeah. It, the science potentially could be correct, which is pre- shows to the brilliance of the writers. But there's also concerns about mining the moon, too. You okay. know, like harvesting natural resources here on Earth, eventually you're going to run out, and you're going to run into the same problem if you start doing this on the moon. Mm-hmm. Eventually you're going to strip mine the moon, and there's going to be nothing left to use. Yeah, we just need to find a balance of using like alternative energies as well as these materials as well so we don't like deplete everything and because nasa isn't devoting any time to projects or studying what kind of materials that can be found on the moon at least right now Mm. we can't say with any sort of certainty what sort of feasibility exists for trying to mine the moon Ah, maybe we should talk to elon musk (laughs) or jeff bezos say hey guys why don't you mine on the moon? I think this whole idea of mining the moon sounds a lot like the Stanford Taurus space station that we talked about in Elysium. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, sure, it looks it sounds great, but it's an economic boondoggle and not really practical. No. And there's no need for it right now either. No, we have those materials. So it's like there's nothing new that we're going to find. It would just be like almost like a money pit. I think we're just sinking money and mining the moon. I mean, eventually I think we will have to 
build some build equipment and train people to go up to the moon and you know given our tendency to simply give mother earth the finger <laughs> we may need to accelerate these plans right or use it for the space force space force i i love that the space force is now a thing it's real <laughs> given that there is an international treaty that no country can't can claim anything that's not on earth so i don't exactly understand what the space force is going to be for don't think too hard on it chris just just say yes this just sounds like a poor pathetic man's attempt to <laughs> To get us closer to Star Trek days. <laughs> Probably. The logo looks like Star Trek. It does. It does. Well, it's never explained when this movie takes place, but no. uh, given the technology and the need to mine on the moon, I guess maybe 50 to 80 years in the future, yeah. is there some advanced technology in this film? Definitely. Even like Gertie is super advanced. Though I don't think we've made Gertie yet. You know, like that type of robot. No, not well. We certainly have like a voice assistant. Yeah, Alexa. <laughs> right, but but, no, but nothing no. with that sort of sophistication with Gertie. No, I mean the cloning technology is a bit of a leap, obviously, and and the the mining is so one man can do it himself. Just launch those, you know, shuttles back to Earth. I mean, that's definitely way in the future. Right, and the fact that NASA isn't mentioned at all in the film just reinforces this idea that space travel in the future isn't going to be government regulated. It will be controlled by private corporate interests. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. We saw this a ton in Ad Astra. Yeah. And uh, this is another film that's in that realm of the future privatization of space travel. And it's kind of terrifying. It could go both ways. Right, exactly. You never know. We always want to be hopeful, but with capitalism, <laughs> sometimes, you know, the do bottom line is more important than actual progress itself. Well, even the International Space Station's becoming privatized. It was just recently really? announced that uh, the ISS is going to be adding a hotel to the structure. Wait. So the private I company, Axiom Space, has been contracted by NASA to build the <laughs> first, quote, Commercial what? launch destination. Are you serious? I am dead serious. I can't believe this. But this likely won't be in place until 2024, but it's probably going to cost you an arm and a leg to get uh, up there. Oh, yeah. This is for, like, Donald Trump and the billionaires. Hey, Warren, you want to see space before you die? Yeah, this is like Jurassic Park, like yeah. where it's catered for the ultra-rich, except much. it's in space. <laughs> How could they even does it don't you have to go through training to get to space or like survive? Well what I think thought. what could be possible is they move the ISS to low earth orbit. That oh. way it doesn't take a whole lot of yeah. you know, training to get up there. Or like you sign a waiver if you have a heart condition. Right. Sorry. Or you like... only spend a limited amount of time, like you can only spend a night up there and then you have to come back down <laughs> you can't look out the windows at the aliens but it's going to be astronomical you know how that's much rocket nuts. fuel costs dude that's that's blowing my mind a hotel in space we're in the times chris this is jets if you breath. had the money though would you spend a night at the international space of Station? course i would oh my god yes i want to see space baby <laughs> get me up there <laughs> but we're also seeing two um Billionaires, like you mentioned, Elon Musk yeah. and even Jeff Bezos of Amazon is devoting hundreds of millions of dollars into space exploration. It's just, just because they can. 
I mean, why not? But I think Jeff Bezos is more exploring the idea of commercial space travel and the future of space colonization. Because even he understands that we're we're still a long way away from that type of technology. Oh, yeah. Hope probably within next hundred years or less seeing like how fast technology changes now. But I think the big baddie in the film, though, is Lunar in- Lunar Industries Limited. Yeah, they are. They are the only villain. Like, Gertie, for a second, you don't know if he's good or bad, but Lunar ends up being the evil corporation that just, bottom line, baby. I'd call Gertie a more unwilling participant in the whole villainy aspect. Yeah. I mean, because do you cons- cause he's not really villainous no he's programmed to carry out the company's objectives and goals and he's just the unwilling participant in that and sam is the instrument of said accomplishing those goals Mm -hmm. but he's he cares for sam too like his whole uh his whole idea is to protect him so that's why he's able to tell him the truth about the cloning type in the password because his whole point is to protect sam first before well can't can Gertie truly care for Sam in any sort of profound way? That's He's a, a robot. That's a good question. And Sam at, tells him that at the end before he leaves. He's like, "We're what does he say? Like, we're people? We're people. We're not programmed. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I'm getting chills right now because that was just such a great line. And this is a question, too, I think we ad- tried to address in RoboCop, too. Like, is morality or compassion, Can you are you able to program those? Yeah. Is programmed mor- morality really morality? And the same is true here with Gertie. Is is programmed compassion truly compassion? Well, let's look at humans. <laughs> how how moral and ethical are we? And you basically program it into our brains in like high school, middle school. You know, the education system is all about reinforcing and programming moral and ethics. And how has it worked out for us, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, considering that this uh, most recent graduating class is the most ill-prepared to enter college in the last 15 years. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I blame that on Common Core, not the not the <laughs> shortcomings of uh, individual educators. So, no. <laughs> we can't program. Well, I, I don't think that you can rely on education to, or at least any sort of formal education to develop a set of morals and principles that govern your life. I think that comes from your upbringing and your environment. Yeah. It's it's the question of nature versus nurture that's endured for for generations. But with a robot, there is no nature and nurture. It's a program literally where you type an algorithm that says you're going to always do the most moral and ethical thing. It's going to coincide like, you know, like a Super Bowl uh, table where top and bottom they for every single objective they always cross and you always have to pick the right thing to do is that possible maybe with a robot because they don't feel emotion you know they'll always do the right thing or whatever we perceive it to be right but gertie is built by lil to carry out its obj- its objectives and safeguard its its, its mission it's project yeah it's so project. it's not I don't consider this to be compassion. I just consider him, not even him, it. I consider it to just be a tool of LIL's yeah. of LIL's mission. Okay, because it's meant to protect its assets, Sam, right? And right. it's Gertie has never experienced three Sams alive. So that's why LIL always wanted the clone to come up, a new clone to be reborn once a Sam died. 
so there would never be this um, conflict between Gertie. But because there is, that's how we get this film. And it ends up almost, their programming of Gertie ends up biting L.I.L. in the butt because Gertie always has to protect Sam. He He goes against the company. I mean, Gertie is just Hal 9000 without the red light and the homicidal tendencies. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there are some times where we feel that he, that it is truly on Sam's side. And then there are times where we question whether or not it is on Sam's side. Yeah. With the broadcast and everything when he was communicating back and forth. And uh, I hate how it quickly changes the subject whenever it asks about the nature of their reality and the base there. He always asks Sam, are you hungry? <laughs> it just it just reminds me of when I get into an argument with my dad and I just bring up a point of, like, I know I'm going to be right when I say this. Yeah. And then he just quickly changes the subject. Like, so what do you want to do for dinner tomorrow night? Oh, yeah. The unwi- <laughs> yes, what parents do, the unwilling to admit defeat. They're just, <laughs> they're just doing angry gibberish in their head. They don't want to admit that they were wrong. Just... Let's distract Let's them. do meatloaf tomorrow night. <laughs> so even robots will have that tendency in the future. All right. What else? I think we should discuss the ending of this film. Okay. Because through the Sam's plan to... A, Sam A is dying. There's no way he's going to be able to get back to Earth. Yeah. And Sam B escapes by wiping Gertie's memories and taking the pod safely back to Earth. But then we hear those voiceovers at the end of the film saying how he's going to speak in front of a board of directors. Mm -hmm. But we also hear people that are incredulous about who Sam B is and debating on whether or not they believe him. Yeah, or he's just like an immigrant or illegal alien. What do they say? Yeah, they they call him a kook and how he doesn't have rights even if he is a clone. Which is just fascinating that that's still here at that time in the future. The ending, I think, is meant to be hopeful that the change comes, but it's showing all the sides and the reactions. You know, it's not a Hollywood ending that we're used to where, ah, they ride off into the sunset, you know? And this was several years before the Me Too movement and (laughs) the whole culture of believing the victims. And this is just this precursor of, oh, it doesn't matter what he say, we think he's crazy. But regardless of whether or not you they want to believe Sam is a is a quote unquote victim he re, based on what we've seen in the film he is a victim he is he had no choice he didn't get a choice to you know pick a clone or not he was born into it and i think he did the right thing by sending himself back to earth instead of just like continuing on with the mission and this is the problem i have with this whole this culture of the Me Too movement and victim culture nowadays. And when there are legitimate victims and they all they want is to see justice, mm-hmm. but then there's always illegitimate claims. There are false claims that come out. It sets this mentality back in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's it's a pendulum that always swings because you can't believe everyone because not everyone tells the truth. And that's a fact. But... You don't want to just write everyone off, and nor do you want the castle to fall with just the first cannon that's fired, you know? So it's like finding that middle ground, you know? Like, 
you know, instead of just canceling everyone, maybe having uh what is that due process right and changing you know the laws and like education of like people to not harass people you know like setting forth um setting up like uh social nets so that these people can get help and more change the culture so that people will believe more as opposed to just writing it off but i do agree it sucks whenever there's one negative thing that happens because we just collapse it damages oh. the credibility of any future victims but the problem, I think, though, with that is that's who we are <laughs> as a species, you know? We do that with nowadays. Like, there'll be great people that have done incredible works their entire life, and then, like, an allegation comes out, and we just completely cancel them out as a person and say, you're a piece of crap, garbage human, goodbye. And it's like, but they've done, they've been around for, like, 60 years, and they've done so much for humanity, and we're just going to write them off or something. You know what I'm saying? You know, so it, it's like finding that balance to where it's like we're human. We call it the Cosby effect. Yes. Like when Cosby kept saying, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Like, <laughs> okay, if it was one woman that was saying those allegations, but when there were 70 plus yes. women who all <laughs> had the same story about being drugged and assaulted, yeah, it's it's, it's true. It's true, man. <laughs> they did not all get paid. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Getting back on track with the film, I mean, <laughs> do you think that LIL faced any sort of repercussions following this scandal? I don't know. I hope there's re there's a sequel, but I haven't seen the sequel. Wait, there's a sequel to this film? Yeah, it's called Mute. Oh, I read up on that's a spiritual sequel. I don't yeah. think that. I don't think that's any sort of. Like, but Sam Bell's in it. I, how? I don't know. He's in it. Apparently, Sam Rockwell does a cameo of his character in the epilogue. Okay, then. So. Apparently, but there's I, my hopeful um, side and optimist believes that LIL was da taken down, right? But we don't know how Earth is at this point. We don't know how corporatized the planet is. For all we know, Sam Bell clone could have just been off. You right, know? LIL could easily control whatever sort of kangaroo court they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is so ambiguous about this film. When you finish it off, you it's really up to who you are as a person, I think, that dictates whether or not they he succeeded. But I just I Sam B is going to die at some point on Earth. Well, that's the sad part about it. He's got a his time. He's gonna die. He's going to. And it's so depressing. That's the melancholy <laughs> thought you have as you see him drift back towards Earth is just oh, he's just gonna die in three years. But he gets to live because he's free. But is Maybe. it really living if you know you're going to have an expiration date? Well, Chris, we all have an expiration date. We just yeah, don't know when. Yeah, but we go about life not realizing <laughs> when it's going to be. Whereas Sam now does know he has an expiration date. So maybe life will be all that sweeter to him. <laughs> Speaking of dying, though. Oh, God. Did you have a red shirt? No, I did not because I don't think anyone died except Sam. But, yeah. I've I got one. What? Uh, Gertie's memory banks. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, Gertie's well, memory banks. It willingly sacrifices everything it's retained over the past 15 years, and they actually have a really touching moment yeah. when it turns around and Sam flips the switches and then just books it back to Earth. Yeah, that was a beautiful moment. Yeah, and then Gertie's just, Gertie's you know, like greets the, the next clone going, good morning, Sam. <laughs> Gertie's like the worst do guard dog. 
you know, he looks super vicious, but once the intruder comes in, gives him a bone, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can come through. It's like guard dog. Woo. Oh, you have ham. Oh, 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 yeah, they're in there. Go kill them and take the TV. I guess I'm your dog now. I know. <laughs> come on, Gertie. Uh, but thank you for uh, letting Sam survive. How about uh, lens flare? Did you get any? Yes. Uh, mine was the fight between uh, Sam A and Sam B. Yeah. That was pretty, that was silly. <laughs> I mean, they were both wrong. I mean, all Sam A had to do is hand over the knife, and then Sam B just goes completely mental. It destroys the model table, even though it's clearly these plex, these um, you know, these these uh containers that just have dirt in them to make a a, a table real quick. Yeah. Like, it, w- what secret room are you gonna find in the containers of dirt, dude? <laughs> yeah, I know. He, it, 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 I think that was supposed to show like how angry Sam was, you know. And then over the course of three years, he changed. But blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> mad. Oh, my God. But the fight did go on a little bit too long. We were just like, okay, we get it. They don't really know each other yet at Mm-mm. this point in the film. So it doesn't make a ton of sense that they'd already be whooping each other's ass. Well, you do and you don't, right? Because if you had a clone, you'd know everything about you. Maybe. Right. But you don't at the same time. I would just be looking. It's like It's like looking into a poorly dressed mirror. <laughs> right? Uh, a poorly dressed mirror you don't know i mean assuming that like it you know got clothes that weren't mine (laughs) (laughs) horrid warriors what about you did you have a lens flare my lens flare was probably all the blood like how sam sam bell just never took care of himself once he started to die his like shirt was covered in just blood he was messy he just has that super gross moment where he throws up blood in his helmet and he just he keeps it there man keeps it in there he's got blood on his face he's oh i'm just like dude just take a shower it's okay right change your shirt man so that was a little for my um i guess germaphobe side i was like ew but i was (laughs) like like, i need a new helmet do you think um i was gonna ask you this do you think the visions that sam a saw was that just because he was breaking down uh, or because that was a little unexplained. I just wrote it as because he was ending contract. He was starting to die. I think that that was the beginning of his body starting to degrade. Okay. And we saw that in the video clips of the previous Sam's where they they were talking about having headaches or other sorts of ailments before they climbed into the uh, the I guess the the cremation tube. Yeah. The, yeah. which is horribly morbid oh, horrifying <laughs> like how terrible is that you because basically for the people that haven't seen this um sam ends his contract and then he thinks he's climbing into a pod that's going to ship him back to earth plays a video from lil lil yes is that what it's called yeah and the guy says thank you for your service climb into our transportation pod and you'll wake up right back at home and then pushes the button <laughs> dead yeah, and all that's left is just itty bitty ashes. Yeah, that, that Gertie. Uh, so horrifying. Up. It's so horrifying. That's when I knew LIL was just a mean, mean corporation. So, with all that in mind, let's discuss the legacy of Moon. I'm excited. So, against that five million dollar budget, it did gross nine point eight million. So, while it wasn't a major box office success. It did accomplish its goal of making up its budget, which is the goal of all indie films, really. Yeah, and it did. And it's, yeah. 
currently holds a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and 67% on Metacritic. Which is, I think, a little low. Yeah, I think it's a tad unfair. That is tad, because this, I think it's fantastic. But I think audiences are slowly coming around to this film as as film-going people are becoming smarter and... They're yearning for better and deeper stories. Mm-hmm. So this is potentially <laughs> on that short list of, hey, I want a sci-fi film, but I want something deep. Yeah, I want something that Continue. that I could ruminate about for a while. That's right. There's Rod- also uh, what Go Roger ahead. Ebert gave yeah. the film three and a half stars. That's right. When uh, R.I.P., which I guess take that for what you will. Right. If we, you know, given that he. Uh, praised the sixth day and woefully dissed it at the same time last week. I mean, yeah, take take Roger Ebert's view with a grain of salt. <laughs> Empire Magazine called Rockwell's performance one of the great Oscar snubs of that year. I agree. But he, he eventually got his award mm. for um, the billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Also, Rolling Stone Magazine ranked the film number 23 on their top 40 sci-fi films of the 21st century but i know that you don't i disagree with that <laughs> list because it came out super early in the decade and i think after that list came out there were films like arrival blade runner 2049 that have come out so again a bit premature to do a list like that so early in the century they should do like what the nfl does like every 25 years do a 25 year team 50 year team 75 oh yeah you or actually wait until the decade is over to do an all decade team or yes. you know hey you know we just had our 100 season let's have our you know yes. best 100 players that's an appropriate time to do that <laughs> not randomly in the middle of 2017 right. <laughs> So this is actually pretty well received amongst the scientific community as well. I uh, I did see it was shown at NASA as part of a lecture series. Yeah. And it continues to be well received for its realistic approach to the science in the film. Oh, yeah. I mean, the science is fantastic. The um, isolationism is just on key. I don't know how he could do it for three years with just a robot. (laughs) Uh, Accolades. We've got tons of indie awards. The only major one that I found was the BAFTA, and it got the award for Outstanding Debut of a British, uh, British Writer, Director, Producer. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, we just get a bunch of British films. <laughs> it was nominated for Best Sci-Fi Film and Best Actor at the Saturn Awards yes. that year. So That's something. But outside of that, it kind of got snubbed from Screen Actor, Golden Globe. I I don't remember. Was 09... Like um, Dark Knight year and all that. Uh, that was 08. That was 08 year? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah. I don't know what came out in 09 that was so great during the <laughs> awards season, but poo-poo on them. So, let's rate Moon, shall okay. we? On our unique scale in the Force-Fed Sci-Fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party, what do you give to 2009's Moon? Um, I would own this. I think it's great film all around. It's it's a really easy watch, like we said. It's very direct, simple, um, easy to follow. Characters are really chill. Like you can just dive right in and fall in love with them. It's nice that the cast is so trimmed down, so you're not like just endlessly being bombarded, like in a lot of modern action films where you have a cast of like 
50 guys and you get five minutes with each. Um, the emotions covered, the science, futuristic depiction. It's all real, man. <laughs> it's I love indie. So this is just really good indie. And I think if someone likes sci-fi and they want something drama, like deep, they'll uh, sit with you and you could see and feel maybe how s space is going to be in a couple decades. Check it out. So that's uh, that's me. I would own this bad boy. How about you? You know, I would call this a wood watch. This this wasn't the first time I'd seen this movie. And when I saw it a few years ago, I thought it was great. It was completely hooked while watching it. However, watching it now, I think the intended effect of the film is lost somewhat. The The twist where we find out that Sam is a clone and there's a whole cloning facility in that base lacks a lot of emotional re resonance upon repeat viewings. And Gertie does its best to obscure the truth from Sam until it realizes that it's no longer possible to do that. And it's it's just this stories, uh, this tale of eventuality at some point. Eventually, the, the secret was going to come out at some point and Sam was going to escape back to Earth. But it's just repeating this process once Sam B leaves. So, so there's no real finality or conclusion to it. You still feel like this process will just repeat. Sam's going to go back to Earth and nobody's going to believe him that he is a clone. So nothing really changes at the end of the film either. Sam B still going to die and Sam A is dead at the end of the film and LIL is going to continue mining the moon and continuing their business practices. So if this were my first time watching it, I'd certainly rate it higher, but I just think that that intended message Duncan Jones was going for is lost upon repeat viewings. So okay. <laughs> that's where I stand on Moon. <laughs> All right. So that's the Moon. Now it's time to ask Major Samantha for our next film for next week. Yes. From our list of 118 films, our friendly random number generator AI Major Samantha has selected... It is number 116. There's a film from 2014 directed by William Eubank and starring Lawrence Fishburne. It is The Signal. Okay. I've never seen that, <laughs> so cool. Awesome. So that'll be our movie for next time. Please watch and enjoy with us. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team... We will see you next time. Force Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.